Welcome to the Tech Sales Show, dedicated to making you a better seller. Recorded 4,827 miles across the Atlantic Ocean with Bobby Das from Houston, Texas, a father, husband, golfer, pilot, and tech seller. And Brian Evans, an expat in London, England, family man, 2X Ironman, and an ERP salesman. Both sharing tried and true sales strategies and providing free tools to make each week and campaign easier for you. They also answer your questions weekly. Now, here is Bobby and Brian. Hey, hey, Bobby. What's up, Brian? Well, today we have episode two of the Challenger Cell. This is the Challenger Approach. So in the first uh, episode, Bobby, we talked all about kind of comparing and tra- contrasting this to spin selling and the solution selling process. We gave an example of managing an on-prem server and moving that to the cloud and how this is an opportunity to teach. And we'll get it a lot more into the teaching process into the next in the next episode. The final episode is about tailoring your message. So you want to make sure it, it resonates with your prospective customer and then taking control of the sales process. But today we're going to talk more broadly about the challenger approach. And it's kind of broken up into two sections, Bobby. The first section is about different personality types, different personas. We'll talk about kind of which ones we traditionally fell into, how we've grown. Um, and we'll get, we'll get kind of deep into that. And we'll also talk about six opportunities or six ways that an average rep can become a great rep. We'll give some examples. And we'll talk about some of our past series that you can go back and listen to uh, if you yourself are looking to make this transition into the challenger cell approach. As we said in the first episode, if you've not had the chance to um, read this book, it's a great read. It's a really quick read. Um, if you're more of an audible type learner, check it out that way too. Uh, this this is a book you could knock out in one day in audible. And I, Bobby, you mentioned this on one of the interviews that we did. The the trick of listening to an inter, uh, to a, to an audible book at at one and a half. I think it's a little aggressive. I'm more of a if I'm going to do an audible, I'm more like a 1.25. Uh, but this is a great book that you can get through pretty quick. You'd be surprised. I'm up to a 1.75 now, and uh, I, I am getting through books much quicker. But uh, you do have to you do have to work your way into it. You can't start there. You'll think it sounds like a bunch of chim, chimunk, chipmunks reading a book to you. Yeah, I, I would, it's certainly going to require you to concentrate. That's for yeah, sure. It does. All right, so today, again, all about the Challenger approach. Uh, we talked about this in the previous episode, that this was one of the largest sales um, studies ever executed on. Uh, they talked to 6,000 salespeople in 90 different countries. There is an entire cottage industry built around teaching um, tech sales companies how to use this methodology because customers prefer this, Bobby. Um, one of the key findings in this book is that 53% of customer loyalty is driven by the sales experience. Uh, you you gave an example on last week's episode where you talked about um, requesting a quote for a new pickup truck. Uh, the guy that responded to you fast, uh, the fastest or with the lowest price, both didn't get your business, didn't probably didn't even get a response from you, didn't give drive any sort of customer loyalty for you. It was it was the research and the the teaching methodology this person did for you that both upsold what you ended up buying ultimately, but you didn't buy on price. You didn't, you know, 
Uh, you didn't buy on any of those those traditional ways that people think of closing transactions. It's just not the way customers buy. No, and it's not the way we buy. So we, we need to each recognize that and realize that the cliffhanger of some maintenance renewal isn't going to make someone change their mind because it wouldn't change your mind. That would, you wouldn't, oh, well, I'm, I got to do something today instead of tomorrow. Those, those levers don't work anymore. And that's because everyone around us is smarter, just like we, each of us individually are smarter as well. It's why we talk, we, we, we asked this on all the interviews. You'll notice in every one of the interviews we talked about, it's what do you do to stay up to date in this ever-changing, ever-growing industry? It's, it's the reason we asked that question in all these episodes is because staying up with the industry is so important and so difficult. The Harvard Business Review came up time and time again. Twitter, LinkedIn, Go, it's worth listening to these interviews to learn about how these people learn and stay up to date because customers expect them to be up to date and to teach them something. That's just the expectation. Not saying you're going to be classroom style up in a whiteboard, but customers have expectations, prospective customers have expectations that you're bringing something to the table. And that's really what the Challenger Sale is all about. So hopefully everybody's read the book by this point, but let's talk about the categories or type of sales approaches that the book breaks down and and I'll start with kind of giving the attributes of the one that I probably was when I first became a sales rep and see if those people listening can pick out which one of those type of roles I was I I think I early on uh, was was pretty self-assured that that I could bring it to the table and get my customer to see what the value was that I was bringing I followed a lot of my own instincts whether that was from my own marketing and doing events and driving some uh, some market in my area or territories. Um, and I delivered the results, but there's no question that I probably wasn't the easiest person for my boss to manage. Making me, you, on the, you listening in your car driving down the road should know that that made me more of a lone wolf than anything. And while I made my number every year at Microsoft and was pretty successful, uh, I probably had those as bullets that people would describe me as brian what was some of the bullets that described you and then we'll let the listener guess in their car what 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 category you were yeah so early on um i was somebody that didn't give up easily um i was quick to respond i was very self-motivated i tried to get to the office i tried to be the first one in the office that was my goal uh, I was very interested in feedback, personal developments. Um, what? Yeah, I, I'll stop there. What well, category that made would you Brian put in there? A, a hard worker. A hard worker. And yeah, and I, I think I was a, a mix of a of another one too, uh, which I think you fit into this quite a bit, Bobby. Too is the problem solver. The problem solver is somebody that's really detail oriented. Uh, if you have seen Bobby's videos on YouTube. Um, about uh, you know the oh crap rule for Outlook uh, that's solving a problem. If you've seen his note about how to blow out an email, turn it in from a you know something that turns in, you can just type a bit of text and it effectively turns into a full evaluation plan for a customer uh, or whatever you choose to make it. Um, reliable, res- reliably response to stakeholders, make sure all the problems are solved. I think we both kind of fit into that too. So I think, Bobby, I think these alone aren't deal breakers. We're, we're all a hybrid of all these different characteristics. Um, 
But no doubt, it, the one we haven't really talked about is the the classic consultative rep builds advocates internally, creates relationships with prospects. I mean, that's the relationship builder. So we we have talked about the lone wolf, the hard worker, the relationship builder, and the problem solver, all of which you we can have attributes of. There's they're they're not amongst by themselves a problem, but they are the classic entities that that sales reps have been and become. The challenger, this new way of approaching a customer and the sales process, that, that the challenger sees the world differently. Um, they love to debate and push customers and push back on customers. And they have a strong understanding of the customer's business. And that approach is by far the most successful based on all their research. And I can tell you today, I see it, unless there's luck involved, this definitely is the best approach to take as a sales rep. I'll never forget when I was selling CRM at Microsoft uh, years ago, uh, there's there's a guy in this healthcare industry uh, for CRM and, and this other guy told me, man, if you want to sell CRM in the healthcare industry, you got to know this guy. I mean, he knows everybody. And I remember, I mean, I couldn't put my finger on exactly why that sounded so absurd, but it really was the era that these guys grew up in, in that people did business with people they knew. And in their minds, that was the only way to be successful in a new industry. So there are, there are people that are, this, this is phasing out that these, the people that have leaned on a relationship as their only approach to the markets. Um, those people are no longer, you know, they may eke out some sales here and there, but this is no longer the way to, uh, to grow and progress in the technology sales industry. The other thing I'll say about some of these, we'll, we'll debate. I know we're going to talk about different things, but the relationship builder, I see a lot of reps that work around me today that, that are the relationship builder, and they, they, they fall on their sword time and time again about that their relationship is keeping us engaged in that account. While it may help, it is not the reason why you're still in that account. The only reason you're in an account is because you are the best option for the customer. In today's world, the pressure for everybody to do more with less and spend less money and control their budgets and to do something great for their own business, they're in it for them and they're in it for their company. They're not in it for you and your company. Um, No one's going to owe you one anymore. I think back in the day, call it even Microsoft, I'll say 10 years ago, somebody might have done me a favor because I had done a couple favors for them, given them a few, you know, employee use rights of windows or something they might have they might have booked a deal a week early for me or something but they don't do million dollar deals because you are in a relationship with them um don't don't believe that anyway whatsoever and the second somebody comes in challenging their approach with something that truly provides value to them how much will that relationship mean not nothing nothing they'll move on and no this isn't news to anyone and I don't think the challenger cell was news to me. It was just a um, a new way to think about. It was a it was a good concrete approach to to something we knew innately was happening in the marketplace. I, when when I like to talk about the lone wolf a lot too, because I, I think this is one that I I kind of parts of me fall into as well. And I and I I see and I know people that kind of remain locked in this lone wolf. One of the biggest challenges I think they come across in this in this if they take this approach as just purely a lone wolf without having the, the challenger cell characteristics is that they fail to get, they fail to be a new innovative seller 
So they, what has worked for them time and time again, they assume that that's going to continue working for them. So they stop becoming educated. They stop learning about uh, new customers that have come on the platform and what value those new customers are getting. So they their their teaching methods become dated and old. And as soon as they start becoming dated and old, you're just selling a commodity at that commodity at that point. And that's when you start to lose deals. I also think I see those people today at Dell EMC where they now ha- they've fallen into a trap of they can only sell on price because they have got themselves to be commoditized. So their flash storage looks a lot like the competitors' flash storage, and they don't know how to do anything other than try to tell them the customer why their flash storage is better when it's probably the exact same nanotechnology in their flash drive as the other one and they get trapped and they're, they're stuck so what do they do the only way they can win then is have a cheaper price which impacts their commissions impacts their company impacts their ability to do more with that customer and it, it really boils down to price when you get stuck in that commoditized world and not being able to teach it's that simple the problem solver. This is the one I naturally fall into, Bobby. Uh, I really struggle with this one. Highly detailed. I, I struggle with it. I'll tell you. I'll tell you why I struggle with it. It's it's um, naturally. If if um, if I didn't follow the sell, the challenger self, I didn't know it existed and didn't naturally fall into this. Um, I would want to please the customer. You know, I like. I'd want them to to enjoy working with me. I'd want them to tell everyone how good of experience they had working with me because I'm kind of a I'm kind of a people pleaser that's that's my natural instinct. The problem solver is really detail oriented like I'm going to get a response back out to your email quick. I'm reliable. My out of office is on, you know. And even with my out of office on, I'm still going to respond to you, right? Um I'll, you know, we'll take those action items for the meeting, those 62 action items. And do you think that I'm going to respond to 58 of them? Nope. All 62 are going to get a response back on and all of those on their own aren't problems but they are not they are not going to win you the sell they may say yeah yeah brian was a good guy to work with we we appreciated working with brian but at the end of the day the with the pressures that Cherie and other of our, our customers are dealing with they need real solutions to their challenges and you have to be able to express to them and teach them how your wares are going to solve those those challenges and if you don't have something that solves their problems i'll go back to something i said in the first episode you need to find another company or you really need to challenge yourself and maybe you just don't have the internal marketing required to start putting this together and maybe that's where you need to start putting on some hard worker boots and start to get to work on your own material that you've learned and other top sellers in your business have learned to start teaching your prospects uh what your what your solution can bring to the market yeah, effectively, if you could do all of these bullets simultaneously, you would be a world-class seller, no doubt. But you have to have the three that are under the challenger sale. And let's go over those three real quick because we kind of talked about the three under all the other ones. But to be a challenger seller, you must, number one, be able to teach customers something new and valuable about how to compete in their market. Notice that didn't have anything to do with your product. The second thing is you need to tailor your sales pitch to resonate with the decision maker's hot button issues. This is, again, not, you can't reuse the same email template and copy and paste and copy and paste and copy and paste and expect to have the same powerful impact as you would if you were to tailor it specific to the prospect that you're talking to. And number three, you must take control 
of the discussions around pricing and challenge customers thinking around the problem. We'll talk more about it in episode four, but if you're not comfortable talking about money and really understanding that this may cost a million dollars, $10 million, some, a lot of money dollars, um, you're going to struggle to be a challenger because you need to be able to control the pricing conversation. If the customer controls it, then you will never win at the right level inside of those accounts. And if you need further proof on why this approach is so powerful, uh, 40% of top performers use the challenger sale. Um, of the people they interviewed, high performers were two times as likely to use the challenger approach than any other uh, approach out there. More than 50% of all-stars use it in complex sales. And really what they, I, I think what kind of kept coming up again and again in the book is that as the complexity of the sell increased, so, you know, if there's a spectrum of selling a commodity to a very high-end system, um, so does the success rate of the the challenger sell. So, Bobby, to your point, if you're having, if you have difficulty talking about money and million-dollar products, um, you're going to really struggle with this approach. So as sales complexity increases, uh, the success rate of the challenge sale increases. And I would finally, one stat that I like to tell people, and, and it probably hurts more than it should, but only 7% of top performers in their surveys took a relationship-building approach. It was by far the worst performing profile of the five profiles we just spoke about. So if you if you are arguing with us in your car right now saying that you're a great relationship seller and you have success, either your days are numbered or diminishing or your sales cycles are not in the same level of control that they could be. And it doesn't mean you throw all that out the door. It means you've got to pivot a little bit and take on the attributes of a challenger seller and teach, tailor, and take control. I, th- I think another thing that was interesting in this book, Bobby, too, is it talked about the challenger approach worked better across the top performers. Um, I think one of my theories behind why is that the top performers are generally going to have um, a higher aptitude and ability to teach a prospect, and a prospect is going to be more open to listening to someone that they feel like is on an equal playing field as them, someone they see as their peer, basically. Um, but it's key, right? I, I think this is really, really important. If 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 you're a top performer now, the challenger cell is only going to imp- improve your approach. And if you're an average performer, this is going to, well, hopefully you're not an average performer, but if you're an average performer, this is going to help you differentiate yourself and it's going to keep you relevant in the industry. This is a pretty disruptive part of the book. So let's jump into some of the things that you can do to start changing the game and become a little bit more like a challenger sales. Here's some things we found average reps can do to become a great rep and break through and become experts by the following list. Number one, offers a unique perspective to the customer. So Brian's talked about it a lot. We've given a number of examples in previous episodes, but bring like a Harvard Business Review article to the table that would debunk something that your customer's thinking about or worried about. Evidence from previous customers, uh, highlighting the, the, the value resources that made them get over the hump to do something. Have a unique perspective. Yeah, um, LinkedIn is a great source for this. Bobby, let's talk about some of the, the resources you and I both use. I'm avid on TechMeme. Uh, that may be one that's 
not familiar to a lot of people. It's tech, T-E-C-H-M-E-M-E.com. They've got a great newsletter. They've got a great t- Twitter feed. And then they're just their website. I don't know why they don't have an app. They should have released an app uh, five years ago. It's a great source for enterprise companies and um, studies and new information that comes out. Uh, that's a great source for me. Twitter is a great source for me. Um, what about what their website? We, I still think everyone dismisses the customer's website. Yeah. Right? They have yeah. a lot of information about them. That if you if we talk about it a lot, but if you would read their annual reports or just understand their quarterly earning announcements, you could probably find two or three things that would create a unique perspective to the customer. The bullet says offers a unique perspective to the customer. If you know what there's going on in their business, what their risks are, what their threats are, what their opportunities are, and you replay them to that, it, it will be very powerful in the way that they respond to you about what they're thinking about to do those things. Uh, so put yourself in the customer's shoes, read their annual reports, read their own website. They probably have a shareholders magazine or something that you would really be able to resonate with what the CEO of their business is talking about on a quarterly basis. Cherie said, what was it, one out of 10 Some, people? Yeah, exactly. Uh, one out of 10 account executives that meet with her have read their quarterly report. And I bet she it, was being nice. I bet she was being nice. And how long does it take you to read a quarterly report? Not the detail, detail stuff, right? It's the it's the pertinent stuff. That's interesting stuff. It's twenty minutes. Twenty if minutes. That, I can skim this important stuff in five. I mean, but people won't take the five, Brian. They're, they're, unfortunately, there are some average people out there listening, and they're going to be average. Don't be average. You, go read that stuff. Number two has strong two way communication skills. But Bobby, I'm an introvert. How could I ever have good two-way communication skills? Well, Brian, you are an introvert, and we do this podcast every week, so what? you had to learn to communicate. No, you learned a long time ago, but it, you don't. You didn't just pray about it at night. You didn't just hope to the gods or get some pixie dust down at the Spencer store and sprinkle it on your head. You practiced, and you asked for help, and when I managed you, we, we role-played things. <sighs> I was thinking how awkward some of those first interviews we did were. But that's how you get better. So whether you do the Toastmasters type thing or you practice with your boss, friends, family members, whatever, you, you've got to get really good. I'm still, I still work on it today. Uh, my wife probably still recommends that I read Crucial Conversations once a year. Um, I don't have the filter always that I should have. But if you're not reading or practicing or trying, uh, then you're not going to get any better for sure. Number three knows the individual customer's value drivers. Um, we just talked about it, but that's going to be an annual report. What do they think they're good at? KPIs. We, we talk about this all the time, what we do at Workday. It's what what is the customer measuring? Sometimes you think it's really obvious. Uh, sometimes you think like an airport. Um, it, it, you know, you, it, we, we were meeting with an airport and we were, we were thinking, what, what's important to them? What does this company measure, right? It's, it's, it's more than money. Of course, they're all measuring money. Not clean bathrooms is my guess. Not clean bathrooms. I don't recall that being in the annual report. What we found is that it's the number of lands they had at the airport. Hey, Bobby, you're, you are you know a thing or two about... I'm smiling. Uh, I know why that is. <laughs> well, I want, I'd love for you to tell me why it is. But for us, it was we wanted to bring... We wanted to have a good understanding of the, the, the KPIs that were important to them. So when we think about value drivers, it's more than just cash. It's metrics that they measure 
um, that that are that are leading indicators a lot of time of what revenue is to come, or draws some sort of correlation correlation to uh, revenue and expenses. Yeah, I have definitely a different perspective on airports nowadays uh, since I own yeah. a small piece of one. But the reality is, I guess the simplification of it is, is that an airport is nothing more than a very big convenience store. And what do you think a convenience store sells more of than anything else? Gasoline. Gasoline. So every car that stops, probably they have a shot to sell gasoline. And every plane that lands, they're going to sell some gasoline. Uh, it's probably jet fuel, but that jet fuel is not cheap. And they're they're marking it up and they're making money every time that jet lands. So the, um, instead of measuring gallons sold, they're probably measuring number of planes they can get in there, which is a which is a big deal. So then you have to add more more runways, more gates, more air traffic controllers. And so the process to get the plane to comfortably land and, and, and want to be at that destination uh, obviously is going to drive fuel and fuel sales. So that's probably why they're measuring that first. And you would never know these things unless you did like Bobby and you bought a flight school <laughs> or you read their annual report, right? So, right? so take some time. Take some time. It's worth it. Again, we keep pointing back to the first series, but the first series is really the, I think it's the most important series we've done. Fourth can identify economic drivers of a customer business. This, I think this really ties into number three. However, if you are selling into the energy industry, Bobby, this is something that you happen to know a lot about too. You, it's important to know what drives the economy um, in the energy business. Uh, if you're meeting with a, a upstream oil and gas company, uh, there are a lot of economic uh, business drivers in their business and you You'd, you'd better have a pretty good knowledge just not only on their business, but just on the industry in general. And I think that goes for everything. The the purchasing of a truck, someone needed to understand what I was trying to do with a truck versus a car. As simple as that may sound, um, you need they need to understand that. They need to know. I know it's going to cost me more in fuel, but there's a reason why I'm buying something with an open bed. Um, and that's but didn't really fit my needs, so that's why I bought a bed cover. So, I mean, it's it's just the basics, but it is something that you can figure out before you engage with someone. Number five, go ahead. Sorry, sorry, it's nuanced. So, so make sure that you understand the difference in what and knowing the company's value drivers and the economic drivers of a customer's business. Knowing their knowing the customer's business is really really important. Knowing why their business is affected by the economy is a nuance that's really, really important. Sorry, go ahead. Number five. No question. Good clear it up. Number five is comfortable discussing money. I talked about it a little bit earlier. If you're going to be a challenger sales rep, you've got to be able to discuss money. These are grown-up conversations. Everyone's going to ask you for a discount. I had a great conversation with a customer last Friday because they wanted a discount on a deal and they wanted some tickets to a global conference. And if they did it all, if they just, if I could come up with these two things, they would, they would definitely do this business for me. But in the end of my quarter, and the fact of the matter is I told them, I said, we're done. I'm, I'm at, I'm at the zero mark. I can't give you any more. Um, I might be able to get you the tickets. I can't do it if I don't get it by next, by this week so that it's in my quarter. And oddly enough, they said, okay, I didn't have to give that other discount to get the business. Um, and it is having kind of grown up conversations with your customers at times. Um, of course they wouldn't be doing their business justice, not asking for something else, but I always find it once you get to know, you're probably pretty much done at that point, done one way or another, maybe not always in your benefit. 
And the final one is really, if you can't have a discussion on, on the money front, you're really going to struggle on number six. And number six is, can you pressure your prospective customer? This, you, Bobby, you talked about this really on the series that you wrote for sales process. It, if, if you are going to be subject to the prospective customer sales process, um, then be prepared to get jerked around a process that's probably going to lead to you losing a deal. Those people that responded to your truck request, and I love that you that example because we're just gonna we're gonna burn that into the ground the next few weeks here. But in, but it's a great example. It exemplifies all of this, right? If if that 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 one person that challenged you to think about things a little bit different is the one that ultimately got your business. The person that responded with a quick quote uh, got no response from you and probably followed up six times, got drug into a sales process that he could not win. And don't be that person. Don't be the person. It doesn't mean you can't, it doesn't mean you don't respond to a request for a quote. What it does mean is that this may be an opportunity. Bobby, you've talked about this a lot in previous series. A quote request could mean an opportunity for you to um, turn over the sales process and make a trade. Maybe you do get involved in the sales cycle, but it's an opportunity for you to, uh, to get engaged with a customer and try to break the sales process a bit. Yeah, I think often I hear here when I when I push other people on my team, my virtual team members, to put pressure on the customer. They're like, "How can we pressure the customer? We need them more than they need us." And I I would tend to disagree there. I mean, I I, I take pride in what I do. I take pride in how well I do it. I think a lot of customers would like to work with me and like me to be managing them as a salesperson because I'm going to provide a ton of value. So. If, if they're going to yank me around all the time and I'm doing as good as I think I'm doing for them and I'm getting nothing in return, meaning I'm not selling or closing anything with them, I'm going to tell them I'm moving on and they're not going to get to have that anymore and then go back to another rep that does a bunch of quotes and doesn't provide any value. I think that customers need people like the challenger sales rep in their environments and they really appreciate it and the value that they get is so valuable that they'll pay for it over time as well. And the value you bring is hard work. And we talk about this being a very lucrative industry. Uh, For those of you that are early in your career, that's probably why you're into this industry. It can be quite lucrative, but it takes a lot of work to stay up on top of things. So Bobby, today um, we really just got we kind of laid the groundwork and the framework for what the challenger sale is on the next episode. We're going to talk about teaching for differentiation. And then we're going to wrap the series up with tailoring for resonance and taking control. And that's really, um, that that's the fun part. And then we'll wrap up the series with that. So for, uh, thanks for listening, everyone. We really appreciate it. If you have any feedback, questions, concerns, don't hesitate to reach out to us. We love talking about this subject. So, uh, thanks everyone for listening. Thanks everybody. Thanks for listening to The Tech Sales Show with Bobby and Brian. Subscribe to their email list by going to bobbyandbrian.com and follow them on Twitter at Sales.